You know that we are in a, uh, we're in a series right now going through the, uh, the book of, of Jonah, and today we are in chapter two. Last week was in chapter one, today we're in chapter two. I'm going to start in chapter 117, though, just so we have a little bit of a ramp up into chapter two. I just want to kind of set a little bit of the context. You'll remember that God came to Jonah, chapter one, and he said, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them, and what does Jonah do? He goes as far as he can the other direction. He goes to Joppa. He tries to get on a ship to Tarshish, go far away from what was he saying? The Lord's presence. He wanted to go far, far away. So he gets on the ship and what happens? God sends waves. God sends the the wind. And until he goes into the ocean, it doesn't stop. And he goes into the ocean and he's sinking down. And what happens? God sends his salvation in the form of a fish and gobbles him up. And that's where we are in the story. The fish has taken him in. So verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse 1, chapter 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. So this is now for us. We get to listen in on what Jonah said when he's in the middle of the fish. What did God teach him? Verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then... You raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Something that you probably noticed over uh, the, the times that we have read this text last week and this week is that everyone in the in the book of Jonah obeys God except for Jonah. Have you noticed that? So so the wind obeys, the waves obey. The fish obey. We're going to see in a few weeks that all of these Ninevites and their king and even this plant at the very end in Jonah chapter 4, everybody obeys except for Jonah. You know, the one who knew the most obeyed the least, right? And you might think to yourself, shouldn't God just be done with this guy? Like, isn't, shouldn't he just be so fed up? Let's move on to the next prophet, the next person with a, a word for the people of Nineveh. But amazingly, God doesn't work that way. God is so much more patient than any of us would be. And it kind of reminds me of a movie I watched recently. It's a movie called The Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio. Have any of you heard of this movie? I kind of doubt it. It came out in 2005. It didn't do that well at the box office. Not a lot of people have heard of it. It's a, it's a movie about this lady that enters all of these jingle contests back like in the 50s and the 60s. And she's supporting her really large family. She enters these contests. And one of the contests that she enters is for a shopping spree at a local grocery store. 
So she wins this shopping spree and she's going in with her cart and her family's back there and they're cheering her on and she's running through all of the the different aisles and she's putting everything that she can think of, all this amazing stuff into her cart. The family's cheering it. It's an awesome scene. So then the next scene that we have is at the table at their home and she has spread out everything that she just won and it's all there steak and caviar and candy and everybody's just kind of ripping in and just enjoying it and laughing except for her husband and her husband is sulking in the corner and he's angry that he wasn't the one that provided all of this food for his family and so he's just kind of bitter and grumpy and in a corner and so the wife goes over to him and she says babe let's enjoy this food together come over and enjoy this food. And he's just angry. And so what does he, what does he do? He grabs a can of Spam. <laughs> Instead of all this yummy food, he grabs a can of Spam and he kind of opens it up and he gets, a, he gets a fork and he just starts digging in and it's disgusting. You know, he, he doesn't like it, but he's doing it out of spite. And what does the wife do? She goes over to him again and says, babe, come and enjoy this feast. And finally, after she takes some of the food from the table and goes over to him, he finally lays down his pride. He lays down his spam. (laughs) And he comes over and he enjoys this amazing meal with them. You know, one of the wonderful lessons of the book of Jonah is this, that God doesn't let Jonah stand in the corner eating his spam. God has mercy for people, for the wicked people that are far away from him because of their wickedness and far away from him because of their self-righteousness. And he's taken Jonah into the belly of this fish and he wants to teach him some really important lessons and that's what I want us to see today. Three lessons that God had to teach Jonah, but he could only teach him once he was gobbled up in the middle of the belly of this fish. And so the first one is this. The first thing he teaches him is the futility of idolatry. The futility of idolatry. I want you to look at your Bible. So this is going to be really helpful today. Keep your Bible open the whole time. Keep it up, the app open. Look at verse 8. What does it say in verse 8? It says this, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. This statement is Jonah finally realizing that his idolatry is useless you know, he's been tight-fisted, clinching onto this idol of his own plan and his own wisdom. And I just want you to remember that an idol isn't just this gold statue that you bow down to. An idol is anything that you love or cherish or desire more than God. And we know that the power of an idol is that they overpromise and they underdeliver. An idol will always overpromise and underdeliver. The promise of an idol is always if you get me, you're going to be finally happy. You're going to be finally fulfilled. But the reality is that holding on to an idol is like having this sin grenade going off in your life. And the shrapnel from that sin grenade goes off into your life and it goes off into the lives of all of the people that are around you. Just think about this. The men in Joppa that woke up one morning, they thought they were going to be just operating their ferry and going for fishing, right, that day. They had no idea that their lives were about to intersect with the God of the universe trying to get the attention of one of his prophets, 
You know, most most of us don't wake up to our senses. We don't come to our senses about the futility of our own idolatry the first time that we hear that it's dangerous, do we? Most of us don't do that. It's kind of like going to one of your best friends and telling, telling her, look, the guy that you are dating is bad news, and she doesn't want to hear it at all, right? So he's got one of those like cute, ironic mullets that are ever, that's really trendy, you know, and he drives a, a Wrangler and play, plays Frisbee golf or whatever, and she, she doesn't want to hear that he has broken the heart of every girl that he's dated, right? He seems perfect. She's not listening to you. I want you to look at what it takes for Jonah to finally come to his senses. What does it take for Jonah to finally come to his senses? Go back to your Bible here, okay? You're going to have to go back to chapter 1, and I'm going to just read through this. Some of this is going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible here. It's going to be super important that you see this. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Jonah got up to flee from to Tarshish from the Lord's presence, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Go to, to, go to verse 5. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and he stretched out and fallen asleep. Do you see this theme happening here? He keeps going lower and lower and lower. Look at verse 15. Then they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then go to chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Chapter 2. The water engulfed me up to my neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed wrapped around my neck. I sank to the foundations of the mountain. There's not a further place that Jonah can go at this point. The earth's gate shut behind me forever. What's going on here? Jonah keeps going lower and lower and lower and lower. That's what the author is trying to tell us here. Jonah had to be brought this low in order to see the uselessness of his idolatry. He had to hit rock bottom. That's why he says in verse eight, go back to verse eight. You might just wanna underline this. This is one of the most helpful things that you'll see in all of your Bible. Those who cherish worthless idols, they abandon their faithful love. What it means is that when your arm is full of idols, you have no way of being held by the only one who can save you. And why is that? It's, it's because God refuses to be just another option in your life. He refuses to be an option among many in your life. He is so committed to being your only option that he will take every idol away from you until you see that, until you wake up. You know, the tricky thing about idols, though, is that they are good things that become God things in all of our lives. It's a good thing, a good desire that all of a sudden becomes a God thing. It starts as a desire to provide for our family, but then it ends up with this obsession over our bank account. Like if our checking and savings and investment, if it dips below this number, we're cranky and irritable and angry. It starts out as this desire to find a friend that you can hang out with that loves you and supports you. But then once that friend wants to go hang out with other people or just spend time away from you, you're crushed. You're depressed. You feel worth draining out of your life. It starts as a desire to do well at school and make good grades. 
But then it ends with this obsession with getting A's and you feel like if I don't get an A on everything, I'm not gonna get into the college I wanna get to, I'm not gonna get the internship, I'm not gonna get the job that I want. We get anxious over that. Look, so many of us see the taking away of the things that we love as the anger of God towards us. But what if, what if it's not that at all? What if what's actually happening is God is pulling our hands one finger at a time off of an idol that's gonna kill us if we hold on to it? Here's a fundamental thing that I want you to believe about God from this story today. It's a fill in the blank. It says that God is pursuing Jonah to rescue him, not ruin him. Friends, that is such an important thing for all of us to think about, to remember, to take in and meditate on. God isn't pursuing Jonah to ruin him, but he wants to rescue him. He wants to rescue him. You know, the best people in life and in business, they have experiences like this. They kind of hit rock bottom, and that makes them really well-rounded people. I listened to a commencement uh, speech that Steve Jobs gave in 2005, and um, in that commencement speech, he talked about how he started Apple Computers, and then after he started Apple Computers, he made some really bad decisions, and he was eventually fired from Apple. And he spent the next couple of months, he said he was just aimless. He didn't know what to do. He said, though, that hitting rock bottom gave him clarity about what was most important in his life. And then when he eventually came back to Apple, he had even more ideas. And all of us can be thankful right now for Steve Jobs because we don't have to use those Blackberries with the tiny little buttons, right? We get to use an iPhone. Praise the Lord. But friends, think about this. Lots of people have had those moments of clarity. Lots of people have had moments where the, the bottom falls out and they hit rock bottom. But that, that makes for amazing motivational speeches, but that does not make it a uniquely Christian moment. Rising from rock bottom isn't uniquely Christian. This is what makes it a uniquely Christian moment. When Jonah says, the idols in my hand can't save, I'm hitting rock bottom, these can't save, but God can that's what makes this a uniquely godly Christian moment. And friends, that's what, it, that's what takes this and makes this ultimately all about worship. I want you to look at the phrase that comes right after verse 8, where he says in verse 9, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. He's saying here, I'm done with this idolatry. I'm done bowing down to this useless idol. You know, worship is just our praise for what we find most valuable, what, what is most worthy. And these verses teach us something else that we really need to take in, and it's this, that we worship our way into idolatry, but we also worship our way out of idolatry. We worship our way into idolatry, and we worship our way out. Jonah didn't start worshiping in verse 9 here, right? When he says, I'm going to offer you thanksgiving I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise. He'd been worshiping all along what he found most worthy. This is what happened in verse 9, that he, his eyes were finally open to the uselessness of his idol, but the stunning beauty of the Lord, the overwhelming, stunning, stunning beauty of the Lord. And so let me ask you this. What's most valuable to you right now? Like what is in the highest worth column of your life now, I just really want you to think about this. What happened if that was taken away? How would you respond? 
Christian, if the answer is anything but the Lord, I want to call you right now. Lay it down. To lay it down. Give the Lord your God all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. The second thing that God wants to teach Jonah and teach us is that he is a God of relentless grace. He's the God of relentless grace. Some commentators say that chapter 2, verse 9, go there in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 9, is the summary of the entire book of Jonah. You might even want to underline when he says this, salvation belongs to the Lord. Some people even say that that's a summary of the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, you and I might read that, and we would think, that just sounds like maybe another churchy um, exclamation, right? Like, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, but it's so much deeper than that. Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote this amazing book. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Kiddos, have any of y'all ever heard of this? Okay, no, you haven't. Uh, So this is an amazing book, and you need to go get it. If your family doesn't have one of these, I would encourage you to go get it. It's so good. It tells such a wonderful, it tells the story of the Bible in a really wonderful way, but she tells the story of Jonah, and she says something really, really helpful, and I just want you to listen to this, okay? I'm I'm just going to put it up here, okay? This is story time with Daniel. Here we go. God comes to Jonah and he says to him, I want you to go to Nineveh, God said, and tell your worst enemies that I love them. But Jonah said, no. Those are bad people doing bad things. And God says to him, exactly. They've run far away from me, but I can't stop loving them. I will give them a new start. I want to forgive them. But then Jonah has this idea. I'm not going to give them grace. I'm going to go as far away as I can. And so what does he do? It says it down here. Jonah went ahead with his not-so-very-good plan, and he asked for one ticket to not Nineveh, please. (laughs) I want to go to not Nineveh. (laughs) Now, what Sally Lloyd-Jones is doing there is really smart. Because she's not just saying, I don't want to go, just not go to Nineveh. She's saying that Jonah is saying, I want you to not give them grace. (laughs) I don't want grace to go to that group of people. And this shows that Jonah really didn't understand grace at all, right? One One of the best definitions, simple definitions of grace is this, undeserved favor. You might even want to write that down somewhere undeserved favor, favor beyond what is due. And this is the point of Romans chapter five when Paul says this, for while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us, shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Paul is saying there is that none of us were in the deserving column, right? (laughs) None of us wanted to raise our hand and say, God, I want you to give me what I am owed. You know, one of the most amazing things from all over the Bible is that God listens to the cry of those that, that, that call out to him for help. And it's not just the undeserving that get grace. It's the undeserving that call out to him for help. Lots of people are undeserving. Everybody's undeserving. Only a few call out to him. I want you just to look back at what it says in verse two. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I, call, I cried out to help, from help from deep inside Sheol and you heard my voice. 
And you might think, is this really a conversion here? Is this just like a foxhole conversion? Is there really a change happening? Well, let's keep going. Look at verse three. Go back to your Bible here, okay? Listen to what it says in verse three. When you threw me into the depths and into the hearts of the sea, heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers and billows swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. Jonah went from being cast down, worried about his situation in verse three, to being concerned that he was gonna be banished from God's presence forever in verse four. That's how we know that real contrition has happened. He's not worried about material things anymore. And look, isn't it interesting, just think about this, isn't it interesting that the thing that he wanted so much in chapter one, to flee from the presence of the Lord, is now the thing that worries him the most in chapter two, that he would be banished from the presence of the Lord forever. You know, the title of this sermon is A Song in the Dark, and right here, I think, is the theme of that song, that I cried out to you and you heard me. This is the song of a man that's been released from death row. You know, I, I think I've mentioned this before, that I was in college ministry for years before uh, I, I got into worship ministry. And... Um, uh, I, I saw this story play out in college ministry over and over and over again, and it was that a kid would grow up in the church, and they would feel like mom and dad and a pastor and friends, they were all holding out on this person for having like real fun, like the kind of fun that they really wanted to have, and they wanted to go off to school and run, flee from the presence of the Lord. They wanted to get as far away from church as possible, and they really wanted to go and have fun. And I can remember sitting with a guy like that at a donut shop in June, early June. And this guy had just graduated from four years at school. He went away. He lived like that. But his mom and dad, now he had to move back into this house. <laughs> and mom and dad made him go to church. And miraculously, God got a hold of his heart when he was sitting in a worship gathering. And he wanted to talk to me the next day. So he said, hey, can we go get some food? So we went to a donut shop and he shared with me how he was just grieving over the four years that he spent fleeing from the presence of the Lord. It left him so empty. It left him so drained. He thought it was gonna be real life and real fun, but it never was. And praise God, when this guy called out to the Lord, like it says in verse two, when he called out to the Lord, God heard him, answered him, and helped him. Now that, that meeting happened six years ago this June, and that guy is still walking with the Lord. He's married, he has a couple of kiddos, he's super involved in the church that, that we were at. And praise God for that. Listen, I want you to understand, listen to that, the experience that that guy had is something that we see in the text, and it's the mechanics of grace. What happens when you and you call out to God like it says in verse two? It's the mechanics of grace and it says this, God, I've ruined my life. The water's above my, my head. What happens? Well, here's what happens. This is what one commentator said and I just love this phrase. He says that when God gives us grace, he brings us up and he takes us in. He brings us up and he takes us in. What did Jonah say? I sank down and you raised my life up from the pit. My life was fading away, and I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Jonah's sin led him into the pit, 
It led him to the bottom of the ocean, but friends, water in the lungs is not a problem for the Lord, is it? (laughs) Praise God. Water in the lungs is not a problem. He knows how to bring life to people that were dead. He raised up Jonah, so he brought him up. But also, look at this. Verse 7, it says he took him in. My prayer came to you. That's what he says. My prayer, when I prayed, it didn't just go off into nowhere. It came to you. What's he saying? He's saying that God, when he brought him in, he immediately, when it went up to him, this prayer went up to him, he immediately took him in. There was no expectation of groveling for acceptance. Like God wasn't saying to him, I want you to grovel for a while before I'm ready to release grace to you. Jonah's cry went up and God took him in. I want you to listen to this quote by a guy named Dane Ortland. I read a, a book that he wrote earlier this year. It's a book called Gentle and Lowly. I would commend that book to you. It is so helpful. And this is what he says about this idea. He says this, when you sin, do a thorough job of repenting. Rehate sin all over again. Consecrate yourself afresh to the Holy Spirit in his pure ways, but reject the devil's whisper that God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder and a little stiffer. I know that some of you, as you hear me saying that, you uh, have a hard time believing that that's true. Like your experience of a father figure or an authority figure, the person that could give you grace but withholds it, is really, uh, it has been really broken. And so when you hear me saying that, you think, man, I have never experienced grace in this way. I want to tell you just an example from my life, something I've been thinking about. I am right now spending a a lot of time watching these videos where this lady teaches you how to sing vocal runs from like really popular songs, you know, like the the really cool runs. I'm not going to try to do it right now because I haven't perfected it, okay? I, I am listening to these and I'm trying to learn and what I'm learning right now is from a Chris Stapleton song. And I, y'all, I'm like a solid three out of 10 right now, okay? (laughs) It's pretty bad. But if you were to hear me singing this Chris Chris Stapleton song, you know what you should not think? You shouldn't think, man, he writes really bad songs. (laughs) What you should think is that, man, Daniel is not singing that song very well. Here's the point. If you have had a father that didn't show compassion, didn't show you grace, his love was conditional, his love was shallow towards you, please know that God is a perfect heavenly father and he's nothing like that. Friends, when we believe in God by faith, when we genuinely repent of our sins, when we call on his name that we're delivered from our sin, we're invited to draw near, there's no groveling, there's no penance needed, there's just an overwhelming outpouring of grace towards us, so believe that. The third thing, quickly here, that we see that Jonah learned is that dark days can lead to deep praise. I want you to look back at verse three. This is something very interesting. Again, another thing that you might want to consider underlining, it says this, when you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the currents overcame me, all your breakers and your billows swept over me. You know, if you ask Jonah this question, was it the sailors or was it God that threw you, threw you into the ocean? You know what he would say? Yes. Jonah knew that behind all of this going on, the the ocean and the waves and the wind, that God was behind this all along. None of it was by accident. 
And have you ever noticed that the most spiritually mature people that you talk to, that they say things like this, this situation that I'm in is incredibly difficult, but I think God has me here to teach me something that I need to know. I mean, everyone feels the joy of the Lord when you're on vacation, right? (laughs) Everyone feels the joy of the Lord when your kids are obeying you or your boss says, you know what? You're underpaid and we need to make that right. (laughs) Everybody feels the joy of the Lord when you ace the test. You know when it's hard to feel the joy of the Lord, to feel like God is at work when there's loss, when there's pain, when there's chronic pain, when there's depression, you know, the person who says that God has not brought me the spouse that I want. He has, he's brought me this diagnosis. He's allowed COVID to come in and wreck my business and my income and all of my life plans. My coworker is so hard to work with. My children are disobedient. This teacher is really mean. All of my classmates are making up lies about me. The person that acknowledges, this is hard, but I believe that God has brought me here not to ruin me, but to rescue me. He's doing something good, even if I don't understand it. That is a spiritually deep person. I printed for you, if you have the the sermon notes today, I printed for you uh, a a lot of uh, a hymn, an old hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. If you want to Google it later, you can, just so you have the text. It was written by a guy named William Cooper. William Cooper was a friend of John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. William Cooper was also a hymn writer. He wrote, There is a Fountain. William Cooper struggled with depression his entire life. He had a couple suicide attempts. So when this guy talks about being in a dark place, it means that he knows what he's talking about. And I want us to listen to a few stanzas from that hymn. It says this, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footstep in the sea and he rides upon the storm. You know, this is Jonah's testimony, isn't it? that these were your waves, this was your wind. God wasn't just watching it happening, as William Cooper says, he rides along the storm. It's mysterious, but he's there. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. I love that phrase, fresh courage take. This is what we hear in the story of Joseph, right? Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So, take fresh courage, Christian. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Trust him. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. You know, there is absolutely no way to sugarcoat a frowning providence of God. And it's, it's disingenuous to try to do that. Just go, oh, it'll get better, or it, it, it's okay, Right? That's so disingenuous. It's okay for Christians to say this is a frowning providence and some of you in this room are in the middle of a frowning providence. But do you know what's even worse than looking at a frowning providence? Breaking those clouds open and looking out and thinking that there's an empty expanse of no intentions. You know what the Christian gets to do? The Christian opens that up and he says, behind his frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. 
His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. You know, I think Cooper is saying what Jonah is teaching us, that mature Christians with deep faith see the loving hand of God in all things. They believe that behind frowning, and frowning providences, like I just said, there's a smiling face. Christians know that God only intends, write this down, this is the fill in the blank. Christians know that God only intends to bring about Christ-likeness in us through every trial. I know that you've heard these verses a billion times that I'm getting ready to read you, but I just want to read them to you again. Take them in. Believe them. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is God doing in the trials of your life? He's making you like Christ. How can Jonah say in one psalm, you threw me into the pit, you threw me into the ocean. They were your breakers, your billows that were coming over me. How can he say that and then say, I want to sacrifice thanksgiving to the Lord. How can he say that all in one psalm? He can say that because he knows that God intended to rescue him and not ruin him in this trial. So a few things as we close. I started by saying this at the beginning, that we're going to look at the things that God wanted to teach Jonah, but I hope that all of us have seen God wants to teach us those same lessons, right? God wants to teach us this morning. We all need to be uh, warned to let go of our idols and hold on to the faithful love of the Lord. And I also just want to say this. If you're not a Christian with us today, If you've come here today, maybe your friend has invited you and encouraged you to come here. I just want to thank you for joining us. I I hope that you hear us saying that a Christian isn't the most virtuous person in the room. You know, I said at the beginning that everybody obeyed God in the story of Jonah except for Jonah, right? So a Christian's not the most virtuous person in the room. It's the person that has been forgiven. The person that has come to God and said, I need your help, God and called out to him. So I wanna just call you, trust in Christ, believe in him, repent of your sins and follow him. So let's pray now.